0: welcome back to the understanding men podcast which is basically two guys talking about the things that men could but don't speak about anywhere near enough i'm luke sutton and i'm here once again with my great friend fraser franks thank you for joining us again today and i would like to introduce you to today's guest Stephen Reed. Stephen is a former professional footballer with well over 200 Premier League appearances having played for teams such as Millwall, Blackburn, West Bromwich Albion and Burnley and is now the first team coach at Nottingham Forest Stephen has also been really honest in the past about his own mental health struggles particularly with anxiety and imposter syndrome and indeed in 2022 took the decision, the brave decision to step away from football in order to get on top of these issues. As a result we thought that today's theme for the podcast would be imposter syndrome, what it means, how does it affect people and most importantly what can you do to overcome it. So, with no further ado, welcome Stephen, how are you?
1: Good Luke, good to see you. A new phrase Fraser? Good to see you mate, thank you for coming on. I was going to say Luke, you always do your little health check-in with me before every every podcast, about 12 weeks now, so that's hopefully uh, my, my full recovery, but Stephen was a big part of that, he got me up into Nottingham for a good couple of days and Managed to take me to a game and I stayed in his his lovely apartment that he's he's sat in recording here. So he's become a really good friend in the last couple of years. Yeah, delighted to have him on here. Amazing,
0: and he's also got a very big game tomorrow. I know this won't quite fit with when this episode comes out against Everton. How are you feeling about that, Stephen?
2: I'm okay actually. I think as the week goes on, I seem to chill out a little bit more. So when it gets to Friday, Saturday, kind of the works done. So, and actually, in a weird way that. The match day for me now as a coach is probably one of my, at times, relaxed days of the week. Like As a player, it was, it, and it could be a nightmare, but as a coach, the work's done and it's kind of over to the players. Another bit of spice to the game. I'm really close with, with Daishi <laughs> at Everton. Like we catch up quite regular and I used to play with him at Millwall, so... We've not been on speaking terms for a couple of weeks yeah. going into this game. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a big one. Obviously they have got their points deduction recently, so they're they're gonna be wanting to climb the table. But for us as well, we could we could do of a win as well.
0: So before we get and dive into today's theme, what are you gonna to do tomorrow? Are you gonna any mind games? Are you gonna go for the big hug with your old mate or are you gonna blank
2: him? No, we we are we don't really have a big hug when we see each other now, let alone on a <laughs> right, match day okay. in the Premier yeah. League. So it would be probably the normal kind of formal handshake with him and okay. and, and down to business. I know his, his, his staff really well, but we'll have a couple of drinks after, I'm sure.
0: Well, look, if, if you don't mind, Stephen, I'd like you to take us back to that period of time in 2022, just before you took your, and I think that was your second step away from football mm. in post-retirement. Just take us back to that time and explain to people what it was like for you. What was happening during that that, that led you to that decision?
2: I think it was a bit of a culmination really of me from retiring from playing wanting to, and wanting to have a break from from football like through my playing career. And I'm sure we'll come to issues around that and and pre-playing career that I went straight into coaching. You know, I did my badges because I had a lot of injury issues, went straight into coaching for for a few years. I had, had a smaller break when I left Crystal Palace, but this time around, I knew it was kind of building up to me, wanting to step away from the game and explore different things for a period of time. I was in a better place than I was when I left Crystal Palace, when I was really struggling. When I left forest after we got promoted to the premier league that was i actually had a plan i was planning that season on stepping away on setting up a business account putting a presentation together speaking to people getting an idea of what a different avenue might look like for me wanted to do the next level counseling course so found out when that was starting i did the lma mentoring course found out when that was starting to by the time that championship playoff final came and we won it, I was ready to, to step away. Although we won the game, got promoted to the Premier League and I'm thinking, oh my God, how <laughs> can I possibly step away from this? But I just went with my heart, put as much in place that I could to be ready to, to make that decision. And Koops knew. We was having these discussions for months before the summer about me stepping away, trying to get in my ear and convince me to stay. But I think by the end, he knew that that I was going to step away. And one, spend some more time with the family because they live in London and the commute, but two, to just have a little look at a different, a different avenue for me, which I'm a million percent going to return to again at some point. And it was that because you'd had the previous time when you would stepped away for
0: football, it sounds like it was a bit more enforced for health, mental health reasons. Is it mm. the second time round? Was it almost kind of knowing yourself a bit better, knowing where you might get to if this carries on? Was it that sort of feeling? And you were like, okay, second time around, I, I know the warning signs here. I need to pull back.
2: Yeah, the first time and through my whole career, I'd never, ever had any days off for anything mental health- related. You know, I had my help with sports psychologists and counselors at different points in my career and life. But that time when I left Crystal Palace, I was flying back from a family holiday. Pre-season was going to start in a couple of weeks and I just couldn't, just couldn't go back in mentally, physically. I was just done. But the problem with that was I was done and Crystal Palace gave me an extended bit of leave from pre-season effectively it was actually made official about September but the problem with that it almost became a countdown from then until September and I'm thinking oh my god this I'm going to be coming back until I had to make a clean break but the problem with that was I didn't have any plan whatsoever it was just get me out of this get me out of football I want to breathe Uh, I need to take a rest I need to do some proper work on myself. The difference between that time stepping away and the forest stepping away was a plan mm. because after a few months, I always find that three months sort of seems to be a bit of a trigger where it stops becoming a novelty and enjoying the time and catching up with friends. And at sort of that three month period, I found that things started to turn a little bit for me and stress and issues started happening for different reasons in what we're going to do in motivation, in purpose, in structure, in routine, all of those bits was, and then the first time the phone rang after Palace, it was kind of, yeah, just get me back in. Because the feeling of being uncomfortable back in football was still more comfortable than the, the uncertainty of being uncertain, mm. if that makes sense.
1: Mm, makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think that part of dealing with uncertainty is, it comes back to that conditioning. I think you just finished Luke's book. We'll plug it mm. again, Luke, available on Amazon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> brilliant, by the way. Brilliant. And I'm not a reader, but brilliant.
1: That that to me highlighted just how much conditioning goes into every different athlete in that book, different sports, but this sort of unconscious conditioning that happens from a kid in terms of like routine, structure, the family, even the family sort of tailoring their lives around that individual a lot of the time. I see that in academy football now. But that structure, it came, every athlete that talks in that book is about, they knew where they wanted to get to and they knew what was going to get them there. They knew where they had to be every day of the week that built up to a big day of the week, which for the Olympians, it was building up for four years. For the footballers, it was building up to a Saturday. For the boxers, it was building up to a fight. Mm -hmm. And then when you step away from that and you, you think of it, that's from the age of probably about eight years old, really, for you until you're midway through your coaching career before you step away from it, where you're probably 38, 39. Yeah. So it's like 30 yeah. years of your life that you've you've had that sort of structure. And then to come away from it is, is just like, what do I do now? A bit of the, who am mm. I? My identity is wrapped up in football. And where you say that three month period, I think a lot in your career, you get to the end of a season and you get that five, six weeks in the summer, and that is a novelty because you're like, oh my God, like retirement's going to be like this. Like this is what it's going to mm-hmm. be like. And I think a lot of people in sport think of that and cling onto it of this is going to be so, I could just do this all the time. But when it does creep in and that becomes every day, that novelty wears off. So how did you find the first, I know you mentioned it a bit there, but what were you doing for the first couple of months of that first time? And what sort of, Symptoms were you having in the game, and then you know outside of the game when you did have that time to maybe sit and and think about things
2: the bit I was struggling with that kind of led to the decision was that it was the anxiety for me really, which can lead to bouts of there's definitely elements of depression I mean I didn't sort of seek really any medical help with it, but wow, if you kind of read up on it then. There's for sure throughout my career, there's been spells of depression, but just that anxiety every day, you know, just waking up and you plug straight into what's my session going to look like? What am I got today? You know, you've got to go in the building and motivate and energize, you know, is that session, was it right for the manager? Are the players having me? I'm taking a meet. Just overthinking and overanalyzing everything. And it just became completely overwhelming to that point of just needing to, to get out. What I will say is that that feeling when I got out was just total relief. Just like a weight had come off my shoulders, like it just released the valve. And And I've got to be honest, I felt great for for a while, went over to IB for a few times for holidays with the family and we managed to get a half-term holiday away and felt felt great, but then... Over time, the novelty of waking up and not going through that anxiety and feelings of going in and having to deliver and judgment and all of that, start, I started waking up thinking, shit, what am I doing? Mm. You know, what am I going to do today? I've got no structure, no routine. I don't know what I want to do. And with that, became scared of trying anything new. Confidence started to take a bit of a, of a knock. And then the phone rings and it's really... Do, I've gone in uh well actually it was, was bassy it was Simon at Wimbledon and he got the he got the Wimbledon job well caretaker role in about the November when Neil Adley got the sack and he rung me and I went in and gave him a hand and to be honest I quite enjoyed it but it was only for a, I knew it was just an inter, I knew I was just going in for a month so I actually quite enjoyed knowing that I'm going to go in for a bit and then I'm coming out in a month and then the same happened again a few months later but then it was into Scotland with Steve Clark for two years as assistant, and then, then into COVID, and Chris Hughton gets a not in a forest job. But it was interesting for me that moment that I got out. The initial period was like that honeymoon period, mm. was feeling of relief, actually being present with family, with friends. But it's just interesting when that, and what at what time and what point of time that actually turns into, you know, creating stress you know, with nothing to do. And and again, comes back to that routine and and structure for me.
0: What you're describing is that was me during my cricket career. I I played with a few lads. I don't know if you remember a a spinner called Matiah Milorithran. He was the one with the funny action. yeah. And he was was a genius. And he honestly, for him, I used to say to him, are you looking forward to today? And he'd be like, yeah, it's going to be brilliant. And honestly, every day was like Christmas Day for him. And I used to think, Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like that. I'd like wake up and think oh my God, here we go again. I've just got to just, you know, and that might be on the morning of a game that goes really well for me. You know, it wasn't necessarily always like related to whether I played well or not. It was just this kind of constant buzz of deep anxiety. And the weird thing is, is that I learned that I think I was a a bit addicted to that. So when I stepped away from it, it was a bit like, oh, no, I kind of need that to feel alive again. And, it, mm. and so I'd like tune back into it, it, even though it was quite destructive for me. And it was a period of learning to kind of learn to live a little different way. But that level of anxiety is is something I relate to very much. Did that ever get to a place of panic attacks or anything yeah. like that?
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, this goes back to me. at uh, remember my first anxiety proper anxiety episode was at primary school, maybe last year of primary school. The first time I kind of read someone and sort of heard someone explain it was actually Matt Haig in his book, Reasons to Stay Alive. When he spoke about, it's called derealization. That's kind of my panic attack, if you like, where it's like, it's it's hard to describe. It's like an out-of-body experience. You're there, Mm. but you're just completely not with it it's like somebody else is controlling you so that so I'd live with that from a really young age but then obviously going into the football world or sporting world elite performance it just pours petrol on Mm. anxiety when you've got the judgment constantly and you've got to perform and you've got the fans and now you've got the social media and you've got family commitments maybe and all of a sudden you're You know, supporting family and your expectations from friends on a night out or dinner or holidays or whatever it might be. So I've actually had them in game as well. You know, that's through sort of early career. remember in particular a couple of episodes when I was at Blackburn and West Brom. I Tell game. people what
0: that was like. What was that like in the middle of a game? What happened? Luckily, by that
2: stage, because I'd experienced it from about 10, 11 years old, I kind of had to let it in. I had to let it in and just let it burn itself out. We've been here before. It's not going to die. It's going to be over in a few minutes. Because the instant reaction, when it first started occurring, I had to run off and... So I need to go mm. to the toilet or bathroom or more. in the middle of a game. Obviously, it's impossible. So it's kind of living in that moment of this is going to pass. This is going to pass. Hopefully, I don't get the ball for the next couple of minutes, but we'll get through it again. What's,
1: what's actually happening with your body then, really, when, when this is happening?
2: I'm there. It's so hard to describe. I'm there, mm. but it is... So you can still move, like run yeah. around?
1: And, yeah, but it's like a
2: dream-like state of... Mm of panic where your body's actually there, but your mind is just like, shit, like it's happening again. What is going on? Get me out of it. But I'd I'd probably self-manage to, because at that point, I still thought I was the only one. I could be the only one in the world that's experiencing this. Mm. This is just not normal. And until, again, I've read a couple of books and over the last few years, people have shared their ways that it's manifested itself in panic attacks, might be pains, chest pains, thinking you're having a heart mm-hmm. attack. Mine is that complete Like I th- Sometimes I, even as a coach I'm about to deliver a team meeting, I'm thinking it's coming, the lads are coming into the room and I can just feel that this could be happening again. But to be honest, over the last period of time, the, the, probably the I've not had that experience for quite a while. I don't know whether that was because when I was actually playing, I was just in a in a worse state than coaching. I'm I'm not so sure. But luckily, I don't know whether it's lifestyle, I'm looking after myself a better now. That but the experience was was horrendous.
0: Sort for full disclosure, Fraser, I think this will quite shock you actually for because we obviously talk a lot and I haven't told you this. I used to get panic attacks. A lot years and years ago but I haven't had a panic attack for I reckon six years something like Mm. that for me it's a really physical thing like goes through my it's like I'm cramping in my my torso and it goes up my chest and I feel like I can't breathe like my breaths Mm. become really short like like that and I, I haven't had a panic attack for for a long time and I had one a couple of weeks ago And it properly shocked me and shook me up because I thought those days were past. And I thought I was like, I don't know. I don't know if cured is the right word, but I just didn't think it was part of me anymore. And I got a really strong physical one because I was just, I was completely burnt out and I was trying to cope with a lot of different things going on. And I was just pushing and pushing and pushing myself. And then it, and it just happened. And it was just like in that moment where like when you're having them regularly, you feel like they're always going to be there. Mm. But then I thought I'd got away from them, and then it was like it was bang. It was the first time it had ever happened, and it it scared the life out of me. It it was yeah. like a real wake up to go. As much as I look after myself, I really need to stay on top of myself all the time because it's there to come back.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I, I the old the older I've got now, it seems to be. Bit more physical, sort of the, mm-hmm. the symptoms, if you like. Like even now, I kind of sometimes, especially in the cold, get a bit of a rash that might come out. And like over the last couple of years, I've had medical screenings with. I think it's, you know, I, when I was last in at Nottingham Forest, I was just getting persistent heartburn like, throughout the whole season, so got that checked out and just checking <laughs> bowels and and all sorts because. The older I get, I don't know whether just my resilience to it would probably come to it, but the bit it's come up again in the last couple of weeks watching Ronnie O'Sullivan's stuff and Claire Shine mm. that you spoke to in your book was how long can you put yourself through it? But just coming back to actually what you said, Luke, I, I actually probably missed some sort of emotional reaction to... Because when I was out of it, it was just kind of nothingness a little bit. Whereas in your in elite sport or performance, it's highs, the lows, but you're just used to a feeling, whether it's good, bad. It's just mm. the feeling that you probably miss, whether it is that shitty one where I'm shitting my pants about to take a, <laughs> a coaching session, which now, I still now, before I'm taking any session now, I can feel I can feel it. I can feel a change and just all of a sudden you just flick a switch. And I think that's how we've all played at the level because somehow we find a way to just go bang. We've got to do it. Well,
0: that's the thing I'm fascinated by. I'm going to drop a name here. I actually had a meeting today with Phil Foden and I was looking at him, 23 years old, and thinking, I wonder if he ever feels like what I used to feel like when I play. Or does he not? And so do you you think that those emotions which you're talking about, which I think all three of us relate to, do you think everybody feels like that? Or there are people that just, they don't. And they just, they get on with it and they don't, it never happens for them.
2: (laughs) I do a bit, I think, but they're, I say they're the best. Like Ronnie Sullivan's, sorry to mention him again, but he's sort of suffered more than most I had a couple of episodes like the one he had in the final, The Crucible, where Steve Peters was in his room and I used to see Steve and work with him as well. And he was almost getting into a panic like state. But there's just some players that somehow they've just been able to capture how they played and what they felt like as a six, seven, eight-year-old, and they've just carried that all the way through. And there's just there's just levels of Brilliance and genius that that's why they're there. Like I, yeah. I look at the likes of Raheem Sterling and look, used to look at Lampard, Gerrard, 60 games a season, just banging out eight out of 10 every week. I'm thinking how the, how <laughs> I'm just yeah. shitting myself thinking just get through the game. <laughs> don't get injured. Don't make a mistake. Don't this. My, my kind of, my, I don't know what you call it my go to thoughts and feelings have always been negative ones have always don't been don't fuck up don't fuck up don't make a yeah. mistake yeah. don't let them down don't <laughs> let the family down yeah. you know what social media going to say it it was always that rather than make an impact mm. have a good game that was always my and I'm much better now but that's still a bit of my default even coming on this Tonight is, you know, what am I going to say? This this is a big deal, though, Stephen. (laughs) This is a big deal, mate.
0: (laughs) Don't downplay this. You should be nervous. (laughs) But but it is.
2: and Anything new, anything like this, anything, it's just almost a – I'm still working on it. Still Mm, working on
1: it. I know you, um, you mentioned Steve Peters there, who you did a lot of work with. And saying that these sort of panic attacks and anxiety started at a really young age. Have you, has he helped you look into the reasons why that might have been, or is it more a case of learning how to manage your emotions or understand about who you are and how you deal with certain things, or is there like a a moment where you think, I think that might be where it stemmed from?
2: Yeah, that's a difficult one for me, Fraser, because I you know looking at it, amazing childhood my mum and dad were together you know there's bits in that that maybe that I think actually looking back there could be some bits there that you know could have made me feel a certain way as a kid you know you just pick up on vibes didn't you in the with kids and you know I've got two to myself and I get that now. Maybe during that time there was something going on that I just subconsciously was taking in that I've sort of maybe, maybe sort of had an influence on that. Maybe I look at race. That's been a big part in my life, being mixed race. Dad's Jamaican, mum's white, grew up in a 95% white area, white school. You know, all I sort of saw when I was young, I, there's definitely. And I've carried a lot of that. There's been issues around that for me, which I still kinda try and work on. Maybe I felt a little bit I'm um, maybe a bit different to what everything everything that I'm seeing. Everything obviously on T V at that age was all white. Heroes John Barnes, he was just sort of the one that I used to look up to. I think there's definitely some of some of that going on as well. You know, being comfortable mm-hmm. in my own skin mm-hmm. to yeah, it, the only thing and, and Steve was brilliant, but at that time, it was probably more performance-based. It was still, right, I've got, I've got to play football. Got to, This is for me to perform better on a on a Saturday. You know, more the work I've done with my counsellor over the years has tried to delve into more of that. And I think there's still probably a lot in there to, to pick apart and really strip down. And because it's, it's still... You know, still ongoing stuff now that that I manage loads better now. Lifestyle being one of, one of those. Would
1: everyone else have seen a really confident Stephen Reid? You'd have probably been the best player in your school and then you're the one that ends up breaking through Millwall and getting the move to the Premier League. Would everyone else have seen quite a confident guy on the outside?
2: Yeah, and they still would. They'll see confidence. Mm. They'll see relax nice and calm whereas as we know it's like that duck one isn't it what you see or swan you will see on the surface that's that's me all over even if i'm going to take a little possession or passing drill let's probably see and I, again i i can just do it i can just write here we go whistle we're off and i kind of go into a different place like with voice with how i kind of you know, deliver the session, I just sort of somehow can go into a different place. But yeah, I mean when I stepped away from football after Palace, and part of me stepping away when I stepped away from Forest, and that's why I wanted to be open and honest, because when I stepped away from Palace, it was Stephen Reed leads for personal reasons, which didn't no one really we didn't really go into. It was all a bit vague. Then rumors start about drink or issues at home or whatever it might be so I just wanted to be completely honest after Forest. I mean Roy I had a great chat with Roy when I made the decision and he was he was shocked he managed me at West Brom probably saw the leader captain the team a few times big personality in the dressing room call people out when needed so when I go to him in tears and say I'm, I'm struggling and I need to take some time he was he was shocked they handled it really well the club were brilliant but you know, the messages from people that I got on the back of it was, was incredible, people that had been in football. And for them, it was like, oh, my God, thanks for mm. sort of sharing that. I feel exactly the same. Premier League coaches, Premier League players, coaches in their 50s that carried it for that long. So, yeah, people wouldn't see that in me at all. But to be honest with you now, people think, I think, stronger now. You know, I think people have more respect now for it.
0: I just want to move it on to to imposter syndrome and mm. um and it's something you've talked about previously in in interviews. just talk us through it and you know what what did that feel like what when I say imposter
2: syndrome, what does that mean to you? That means feelings of not good enough to be there, I'm gonna get found out. The players are not having me. They think I'm a shit coach. you know is the manager having this session? What does he think of me? It's probably always questioning and thinking about one of my go tos is what they're thinking of me all the time that judgment but it's it's funny for me. It probably only really started when I became a professional footballer, like up until the point of loved. Well, of course, football's my dreams. So I loved it all through primary school, secondary school, Kingston Borough, played for Surrey, loved it. Early days, YTS. That was, do you know, I actually look at when I started as a YTS after leaving school, you know, literally doing your GCSEs, a month later, YTS starts. I think there's a bit of trauma in that period there of actually going into. Effectively, you're into the man's game, and I was actually playing pretty soon after starting full time. But just the environment was something that i would never kind of witnessed, you know, in mm. abuse, in yeah, all all kinds going on, you know, and it's just steep learning how, curve. Yeah, how people speak to each other. You're in all of a sudden with senior pros that were you know, great on one hand, but it's just the environment itself, your kids going into proper alpha male territory at Millwall Football Club. You know, it's a proper tough, tough club. And I just don't know whether I was equipped to just turn 16 to go into that environment. It certainly built something in me of resilience and character and strength to get through it and, you know, to have a decent career. but. I don't know whether that period was that much of a shock to the system that kind of made me struggle in a certain way. And then from that period on of being a professional footballer, when three points on a Saturday mattered and win bonuses mattered and you're playing with senior pros, from that moment on, it just kind of just crept in. I'd say probably over my playing career I probably really enjoyed out 17 seasons two or three where I kind of felt in the flow and confident the rest of it was was just a battle of you know physical and 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 mental issues I I think the imposter syndrome as well within the coaching one becomes quite a become quite strong and powerful for me because all of a sudden you got delivered to 25 players you've got to be on it you know it's got to be right for the manager and the coaching staff and 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 everyone so i've still got that now but the difference is now with me i i kind of shut it down pretty quickly with seeing it it's been one of my biggest strengths Mm. you know i'm quite good now at when i get those feelings which i do pretty regular that I've I've found ways of shutting it down and cracking on. And with my experiences that I've had over the eight years, looking at what I've achieved in in the coaching world, I I think that does help. But it's just, again, seems to be and has been my go-to of jumping to the the negatives of I shouldn't be there. Someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and show me to the exit. As a
1: coach now, do you feel you're able... To see some of the signs in some of the players that you're coaching that might have felt a similar way to how you did in your playing career
2: yeah i do i do I just still feel that there's that barrier with a lot of what we've been speaking about yeah i've 've had a couple of a couple of good chats with a couple of players over you know a period of time, but I still think because you're making decisions on Players' contracts, team selection—it seems to be that barrier, sort of first team coach or manager, where they are taken to a point, but then it's it's very difficult to to get any deeper. Some some will share some, and I've actually had a couple of the players at, at Forest comment on some of the work I did over the last year, and and I'm still open and honest with them now. I still say now I have my struggles, and you know, I'm not sure about this at the minute, and missing the family and and all of those bits. But same with the staff, I like to check in with kind of staff in particular that some of the hours are kind of ridiculous. the analysts, you know staff behind the scenes. I like to get in the kitchen and speak to the staff and just just make them feel valued. It's probably the biggest learning curve i've I've had in football even in coaching, certainly is when you feel valued and part of it and listen to, it just can give you that 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 real edge. And can lift the training ground, can lift, can lift everything.
0: I, I, I want to phrase this in the right way. I'm not sure I will, so I just blurt it out that part of you that feels that imposter syndrome of doubting yourself and thinking I'm going to get found out. That part of you that gets really anxious, has got really anxious before games or during games. And I'm asking this because, in some ways, I'm talking about myself. Is there also part of that that made you really good? Yeah because I feel like there's a fine, very fine line there, because we're talking about you and you're talking about yourself, but you played over 200 Premier League matches. You know, you're, mm. you're, <laughs> to the average footballer, you're highly, highly, highly successful. And yeah, yeah, yeah. is it an edge? Does it give you an edge at times? How do you, where do you, see, where percent, do you sit with that?
2: million percent. Yeah? I think with, without my struggles... I don't know if I would have even had a career in the game without them. I posted something during the last year on, I think it may be LinkedIn or I think it was LinkedIn, where I actually put, can you get to the top level of elite performance because of these issues? Bit of a funny way of putting it, but I think, you know, I've always cared what people thought about me. I've always wanted to, do the right thing I've always given a shit if, if I took that away from me there's no way that I would have become a coach I might have become a coach but there's no way I would have worked with Steve Clark and Roy Hodgson two years after retiring mm. if I wasn't in you know training ground doing the right thing showing an interest making sure that it sounds not people pleasing at all and I'm not that because i I've got the other side of myself where I call things out and I've got the red mist. And I think without it, I'm just not sure I would have got to the the top in what I'm doing. I'm a coach now in the Premier League and, you know, Steve Cooper wanted me back in the summer and Roy Hodgson wanted me in and Steve Clark wanted me in and I've had calls from different clubs. But again, there is that fine line. <laughs> it's, it's just hard to put... It's hard to figure it out a lot of the time. I think that edge, when it's actually helped me, I just think that conditioning of just go again, which in the end mm. can lead to issues and burnout and the anxiety and everything that goes along with that. But just that mentality from a young age, might have been the upbringing at Millwall Football Club and you know resilience that built, but just I've still got that. Just get up and go again just go again, don't get beat by it, just keep going. And I've had that when I stepped away from football, used to beat myself up at times and say, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, weak, you know, man up. So it's kind of always, that voice has always been there actually saying, just get up and go again, which to my detriment at times. Mm.
0: I think about it a lot for myself. We've talked on a previous episode about, I have this sort of rage in me, you know, and I don't really know where it comes from, but that put, pushes me through that anxiety or that imposter syndrome. It's like I'm just going to do anything that that I need to do in that situation to survive, and it's like it sort of counteracts the nervousness. Is this sort of rage that pushes me through? But Fraser, I'd be interested in, to know what you think about this. I, I think it's a bit like it's a bit like revving the car engine into the red. It's really effective in moving the car fast, but you do it too often, and eventually the engine blows. And it, I mm-hmm. feel like it's a bit like that. In the how does how does that sound to you, Fraser?
1: That's a that's a great analogy, by the way. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna mention him again, but I, I do the Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary like, because I've I watched it in the last couple of days. It's really made me think, and I watched another one last night called "The Weight of Gold" about it's Michael Phelps and a, a lot of Olympic athletes that. They have this absolute obsession and drive that probably does get them to that elite level. It's why they are elite. But unless it's harnessed, those same traits can often bring them down in other areas. So their relationships or retirement and things like that. It's just a way of trying not to wrap your whole identity and self-worth up into your career And trying to maintain some kind of balance, but it's so difficult because again, like you say, a lot of athletes get to the top because their life is out of balance. And again, plug in your book, Luke, but those same things don't quite fit so well in the rest of society when you come away from that. So the rules that apply to elite sport, elite business, whatever it might be, don't necessarily apply to lead a healthy balanced lifestyle on the other side of it. So it's, 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 I'd, I'd love to. And I really want to, this is where I want to work in this area because I, I don't think it is success if, for instance, like the even like the Michael Jordan one where greatest of all time in sport and Tiger Woods and Maradona, people like that. But it's almost like your life's at what cost. Exactly, yeah. your life's yeah. almost a bit of a mess at the end of it, but I definitely think that those those traits can be harnessed in into other areas and I think if they're identified and worked with and you have and you open up about it and I think one of the most powerful things about about you talking here, Steve, is I think a lot of people talk about vulnerability and they talk about the things that they've overcome, and they'll go yeah and i and I really struggled at this point, but I'm all better now. I think one of the most powerful things is that you say, no, this is something that I'm still, mm-hmm. I'm a Premier League coach and today I'm still feeling like this and I'm still working through this. It's not going, yeah, now I'm this new person and I've got it all figured out. It's actually going, that's real vulnerability You're going, actually I still feel like they've got a game against Everton tomorrow. And I still get these feelings sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's like real vulnerability, but I, I do, I do. Yeah. Like, like you say, Luke, I think if you are revving it to that extreme yes it'll get you to that high level but is it sustainable and is it going to lead to burnout or some kind of alternative behavior that you end up you know going into yeah i mean i don't you know i don't know for myself like
0: i like i had a panic attack a couple of weeks ago i try pride myself on looking after myself and i think it's just I, I feel like I'm constantly playing this battle of kind of wanting to rev the engine and feel those things that we've talked about and go there, but then having to pull it back and look after myself. And I agree with what you're with what you saying about Steve and I, I, I think it's that there isn't a set place where all of this is perfect one way or the other. Mm-hmm. there is no perfect way there is no like cure there's it's always a balance there's always a give and a take and there's a cost if you rev that engine in the red as well as a lot of benefits and I guess if you're alive to that like you are Steven, you're talking about I think that's a great win it doesn't mean you've solved it but you're alive mm-hmm. to it you know it's there
2: you know with that with the so when you had your episode a couple of weeks ago Lou do you then kind of look back at the lead up and the build up to that and sort of, right, what's, what have I done different? Have mm-hmm. I taken on too much work? Have I traveled too much? Like, do you then kind of, cause what, like now, like since I've been back in, in since July, I've probably missed a handful of days where I've not exercised and I've not got in the lad's ice bath early in the morning and doing those bits. And now when I have my shit days, which I still have when I'm missing the family, what am I doing up here? You question my decision. But then I can sort of look back at that as well. I didn't go in the gym actually for two days. I had a couple of beers at the weekend. I ate a pack of biscuits and a load of shit yesterday. Like now I can, okay, makes a bit more sense rather than before when it's like, oh my God, get me out of here. I've actually got a reasons for it, which helped me kind of, come through it
0: 100 percent, and it was a build-up of me just taking on more and more work and I was there was a few other strains going on family wise that I was worried about and and I traveled a lot and sleep's a massive one for me if I'm not getting good sleep then it builds up but it's like you know it's sort of that weird thing for me where I could feel I was doing it it was sort of like I was really tired what I needed to do was slow down and stop and actually what I did was accelerated. It was like I got mm. kind of like more, more, more. I, was to more. I sort of get out of this chaos with more chaos. It was just, it, it was really old behavior that I've not done for a long time. And the physical nature of it really shocked me. Like it was a real physical feeling. But when it was happening to me, I knew what was happening. I knew I was having a panic attack. And I think for someone who doesn't know what's happening to them, that's part of the panic. It's like you think you're going to suffocate or you think you're going to mm. you collapse or whatever. But for me, I knew I knew what it was. But I just remember then just sitting down with my wife and just, you know, her saying, come on, you need to look after yourself a little bit here and we need to get this right. And do you know what? It's all the stuff that you were talking about. I wasn't exercising hadn't been sleeping properly I was taking on too much I wasn't having enough downtime with the kids and everything I've blimmin preached you know (laughs) there I was having a a bit of a moment going I I need to listen to what I'm saying and I kind of in a weird way now sort of feel quite grateful it happened because Mm. it gave me a bit of a wake-up call that I'm not I'm human it can happen Plug in my book again. Now there's a there's a quote I use in the, in the book early on where Michael Phelps talks about whether he'd want his kids to go on the Olympic journey, and he, and he essentially says no, it would scare me. And that you know that's from the most decorated Olympian of all time, in the highest percentile possible of elite elite But it makes me think about my own kids. I don't know how old your kids are, Stephen, but mine. I've got fourteen year old twins, and my and they're they're kind of doing their thing and. And it makes you think, you know, and there's a bit of me going, this is going to be great. They can, you know, go off and become international, whatever they might be. And then there's that bit of me going, there's a cost in here. There's the cost. There's that thing that sort of did it push me forward or drive me into rehab? You know, it's like I play this thing in my mind going, I don't know. I don't know how old your kids are, but do you ever think about that? Like if they were to go into elite sport, what would happen?
2: If if the next thirty years for the kids look like my last thirty, then no chance. I, oh, really? I can go through. I can go through it again. I, yeah. c- I could not. You know, often play. Like, oh, I wish I could go back to and do it all over. No chance. I, yeah, I can, I can. I can. go through that again. Put myself through that again, and definitely wouldn't put the kids through it. I'd happily just just do whatever you want, but just that contentment, just that peace of mind, just, and that's why in a way, quite proud of myself of hopefully giving them a good start into not Mm. having maybe that pressure to, you know, I might be, might have to spoil them or whatever it might be. But just, I've put myself through this in a way. So hopefully you don't have to, you feel you go and do what you want to do, but yeah. I'd be absolutely delighted if you know, selfishly for me, you know, they go and do what they want, but I wouldn't. I just would not want them going through what I went through. I, f- I read this um,
0: when I was just sort of doing, doing a bit of research for the podcast. There's this bit in one of the interviews you did, which I just found really interesting. I, I think it was, or you could tell me it's maybe the, f- the first time you stepped away or the second time you took a break from football that your counsellor asked you to name ten, 10 things that you enjoyed in life and you could only name two. Mm. I just I just want to know more about that. Yeah. How does that feel to hear that now? And has it mm. has it changed for you?
2: Yeah, it, it has because now it's, I can reel off maybe three. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> 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 no, I, I can at that point where I think we're just – going on a bit of a discovery one and you know it's quite relaxed come on then give me 10 things you enjoy doing and I don't even think I could name two just like bang bang and name them and found that quite scary especially going into the unknown going into starting again going into what are you going to do like most of the athletes that spoke in your book Luke it's like what next and a lot of fear and I can't do this and I can't do that with the way I think anyway with the imposter syndrome with always jumping into a negative I mean coming out of sport and starting something new it's going to be such a challenge but just a lot of the simple things now in like taking pleasure in that exercise in the morning having a walk walking the dog going out for lunch with a Misses and the kids going to have a nice coffee connecting going to meet Fraser in Epsom for a catch-up you know there's just four five six that just got just off the top of my head right that's that can be my go-to right I'm having a shit week why am I having a shit week right not done any of those things disconnected I'm not answering the phone I'm not responding on WhatsApp I'm not exercise you know so now and a lot of those things now are do give me that pleasure.
0: Mm. I mean, interestingly, you when you're talking about those things, you didn't talk about football, but you you obviously <laughs> you obviously do enjoy football, or you do enjoy elements of it. But in those, you just reeled out six. You didn't go, you know, you didn't talk about. And I hear the crowd, and you know, it sounds mm. to me like you. And I, I'm probably putting words in your mouth, and I don't mean it, but it sounds like you found another way to find happiness outside of the result of a football match or your performance. Is, does that feel right?
2: Yeah. I mean, probably the, my favourite part of being in football is is the connections, is telling a young analyst, you know, you're doing a good job, you are. Telling our football operations guy, you know, asking him if he's enjoying it. Just t- doing a great job. Keep that going. Love what you're doing those those bits, kitchen staff, who's in the kitchen, who's washing the pots and pans up. How are you doing? How's, how's your day? How's your family? And they get a little lift off. Fasting coach spoke to him today. And just bits like that can just make training grounds a decent place to be because it's just crawling with cynicism and anxiety and looking over the shoulder. And, you know, it can be really toxic places, but it can be the other way as well when people actually do give a shit and you do get a well done and you do get a bit of praise and people are looking out for you. So that's probably the biggest bit. That's my favorite bit in having a meaningful maybe one-to-one with a player or, you know, a sit down with a ma- just the connections, you know, the football, which is obviously the main part of it is probably second after that. But the thing is, if you get that first bit right, the football then improves and performances improve. So they, they I think they, they go hand in hand. It's still that it's still that winning one as well, by the way. You still cannot beat that feeling of a of a win. And I struggled with that a little bit coming out of it I was actually seeing kind of the celebrations when Premier League safety was secure last season. I'm looking at them celebrate, I'm thinking, oh, phew, I do miss a bit of that feeling as well (laughs) I wouldn't mind maybe just just tasting that for one last one last go and that that could be it for me I'm quite relaxed in really enjoying this role enjoying the journey but who knows after this role at Forest not sure I'm not sort of jumping to any goals of I want to manage I want to coach in the Premier League for 10 years I'm very much let's see what happens with it with this one because I do want to revisit a lot of the work that I did last year, whenever that might be. Mm-hmm. Full-time
0: podcaster. That's, that's what you've got going <laughs> on <written all> over <laughs> you, Steve. <laughs>
2: now,
0: Fraser, I was just going to bring you into this. Do you remember in our last episode, we were talking about leadership and you know what makes great leaders and and doesn't? And I'm just thinking about Stephen talking there about his connection with people and actually what a great leader that would... You know, I'm trying to embarrass you, Stephen, but I can imagine that actually by being that person in around the training ground is probably why managers like having you there as much as, you know, what you're doing on the training ground, that you're just making people feel valued and heard and connected. And it was exactly what we were talking about last week, wasn't it, Fraze?
1: Yeah, well, we, we spoke about our own coaches, didn't we? And who's had, like, the biggest influences on our career. And you can you can't really remember what they did in a training session or tactically what they did, but all you really remember is, like, how they made you feel what kind of person they were, what kind of values they had. And I think like you probably, without blowing smoke too much, you don't realise like your own success, I think, a lot of the time and your own career and mm-hmm. your own personality. And just imagine like if you work at the sh- – like a lot of the staff members at training grounds happen to be like a Nottingham Forest fan or whatever it might be or just big football fans in general. Imagine like that analyst probably goes home to his dad or whatever and goes – Stephen Reed said to me today. And that just like what that can do. And it's such a it is a small act, but it's a big act as well. Because it's people would look at it and go, it's a really tiny, like it took you two seconds to say that, five seconds to say it. But those little details get missed so often. I can remember, and you can both probably remember this as well. And you know, people from different walks of life can probably remember like comments from teachers when they're about ten years old. I can remember. A comment when I was 12 years old from a coach and it was only just like a small little comment like what you said there but I took it home and I was like wow you just yeah and that can make you feel good enough you know what I mean sometimes mm. if you if you do feel that imposter syndrome and you don't feel it in yourself sometimes you do need someone else to go no you are you are good enough you're doing really well at that and that can then maybe bring you out of it a little bit and yeah I think I think you know your your reputation in football and You mentioned Stephen Reed to people now and I've only ever heard good things said about you. And I think so many people loved when you came out and and spoke about that because you do carry this like real strong, respectable presence and that, well, if he's wow, if he's feeling like this, maybe I'm comfortable enough to, to say what's going on at home or what's how I'm feeling inside. So I do think it is—it's something that's slowly going to be shifting in in the world of sport. But, but I still think so many people are, you know, locked off. And as you say, there can be—I was in at a training ground today. There can be quite—I I still find it quite triggering going into those places sometimes because mm. you can see the dynamics. You can see people worrying about who's talking about them or if people are coming across their toes in their department. And it's like, and it's just—I don't know. I, I still see that within football. But I think people like you and others that have followed will will slowly start to, to change it. And it just makes those environments much better. You talked about the environment that you came into. That wouldn't have happened 25 years ago. You'd never have had a coach on a podcast like this talking in the way that you do because they'd be worried that they were going to be perceived in a certain way. But it's just knowing how much of a strength that really is.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit of it, partly... And, you know, fortunately, I'm in a position where if it all ended tomorrow, I'm going to be okay for a period of time. But I've got to that point now where I actually don't care. You know, if people are going to look at me and say, oh, I'm not sure he's had this and that, I'm not sure whether we want Is he right for the club? Well, that's one, not the club for me. And then I don't really give a shit, you know, because I had a, I'd actually had a manager that went into a club in the summer He rung me over the summer and he said, your name's being put to me. We knew each other a little bit. He went, I've just had a little look at what you've been doing over the last sort of six months. I absolutely love it. I I want you in with me. The the move wasn't right for me, but Mm. actually that was just a nice thing to hear and the direction I think it needs to go in. Because I think there's a a bit of a tipping point in sport at the minute where it's presentations and data and analytics I, I, I my coaching roles I don't think I've been in there I know the game and good at what I do but not a master kind of tactician and I'm probably in there in big part for the connections that I can have with people. you know hopefully how I can make players feel and speak to them and make them feel good about themselves that probably more. I don't know, you probably have to ask managers that I work for. But I think a big part of me coming back to Nottingham Forest as well was a lot to do with that in just sort of personality and feel and what you like about the place rather than let's bring him in because he's a master tactician and, you know, he's got all the data analysis sort of down to a T. It's more like Fraser just said then, it's how you actually make people around the club and in the club feel. Mm.
0: so Pep you're gonna unfortunately have to wait till next season (laughs) (laughs) next season next summer possibly we'll have another look at it (laughs) right we got I got one more big question to ask you Stephen if you could talk to your younger self now with everything you've learned in the last particularly the last I don't know 10 years say where you've really started to to become aware of your strengths and your weaknesses. What would you say to that that 16-year-old who's just coming going into ITS, into the big alpha male environment of Millwall Football Club? What do you think you'd say to him?
2: The, well, the big one, probably the biggest one for me is how I would beat myself up. I've always come out and said my toughest opponents always be myself, always really critical of myself. And it is just... Just really, just to be kinder to myself, go easier on myself. I still wouldn't transport myself now back in time to that period and say, you know, share it and talk about it a little bit more because in that era, mm-hmm. I don't, I think you would be would have been finished. I really, I truly believe that if you'd come out in that era that we that we played in and came out and openly with managers and shared a lot of this, I think it would have been a tough. A really tough ride at that time but just the beating myself up one which again that's another work in progress I'm a lot better at it now and manage myself a lot better but mm. actually I'm you're doing all right give myself a pat on the back I even struggle with it now I think a minute ago I said proud of myself for something like that still sticks in the throat a little bit and just give myself a bit of praise. And Fraser said it about recognition of what I've done and achieved. Still feeling of more embar not embarrassment in doing it, but saying it, mm-hmm. that's another inbuilt one, I think, from our generation of coming through, you know, look, always looking forward. You can't rest on your laurels, can't enjoy that too much. Too much. It's on to the next one. Onto the next game, onto the next win. You know, I think Sir Alex Ferguson. I think that was one of his biggest strengths, wasn't it, in always reinventing staff and players. And you sit still at United, then you're gone. But what I try to do now is actually enjoy some of the ride as we go along, as well. Not always onto the next one.
0: I think that's a nice way to finish that. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to bring it to an end. So thank you, Stephen. Fraser, thank you as ever. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Men podcast. Again, I hope you got lots from this episode. Please remember you can find us on all major social media platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, we will be promoting every episode via our own personal social media. So please come and find us, message us, tell us what you think. We want this podcast to be as interactive as possible. And this episode today is very much that from feedback we've had from different people that it would be an interesting subject to talk about or subjects. So please continue to do that for us. And if you've liked what you've heard, then go ahead and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. And lastly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a five star review sorry a review and a five star rating as it helps others find us thank you very much and goodbye for now